Hi folks, Jason Crane here reminding you about the 100 by 300 campaign. The idea is to get 100 members by the 300th show. Membership is easy. You can do it in one lump sum each year or month to month for as little as 10 bucks a month or $110 a year. If you choose one of the higher levels, particularly the $500 a year or $50 a month level, you'll be mentioned on every single show. You'll be an official sponsor of the Jazz Session. The 100 by 300 campaign, visit thejazzsession.com slash join to become a member today. Once again, that's thejazzsession.com slash join. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of this show is archived for free, anytime you want it, at thejazzsession.com. You'll also find the most recent episodes in iTunes, and you can subscribe with an RSS reader, which you'll find the links to do at uh, thejazzsession.com. You can also, I don't often mention this, but uh, you can also follow me on Twitter. I uh, tweet at Jason D. Crane, twitter.com slash Jason D. Crane, D as in David. What else have I got for you? Oh, yeah, become a member, would you? That would be fantastic. Um, We are, I don't know, a little over 20 on the way to 100, and uh, things seem to have plateaued a bit. Uh, which makes me a little nervous, but not too nervous, because I know that given that there are thousands and thousands of you and and how many kind people send emails about the show and so on and so forth, that uh, you you just must have forgotten thus far to become a member, but you're going to do it right now, which you can do at thejazzsession.com. And if you want to go directly to the membership page, you can do it at thejazzsession.com slash join. My guest today is uh, the journalist and music writer Hank Steemer. He writes for Time Out New York and uh, a bunch of other places, and I follow his blog, which I recommend that uh, you do too. And you can do that by uh, visiting the show notes at thejazzsession.com, and you'll see uh, for this episode a link to his blog. And I forget how this came up, but somehow Hank mentioned to me that he was writing the liner notes for Mosaic's uh, new Henry Threadgill box set, and I said at that time, which was a while ago, you know, when it comes out, let's uh, let's talk about it. And I got a copy of the box set, the complete Novus and Columbia recordings of Henry Threadgill and Air. Uh, it's really, really incredible, and it's very difficult to know what to pick to start out musically here. So we'll just we'll just almost choose randomly. I'll uh, go with the first disc, and uh, this is Henry Threadgill and the band Air, and this tune is called Card Five, Open Air Suit. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. 
My guest is the writer Hank Steamer. He uh, has done the notes for uh, a really impressive set called The Complete Novus and Columbia Recordings of Henry Threadgill and Air uh, from the Mosaic label. And uh, Hank, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks a lot for having me. I appreciate it. So this uh, this is a real treasure trove of music here, and uh, maybe we could just start by uh, Henry Threadgill himself has been on this show before, but maybe it would be useful just to uh, to place him in a little bit of context uh, and talk about what's inside this set. Can you give us a little sketch about kind of the period that this box set covers? Yeah, it's it's roughly a, a two decade span. It's it's seventy eight to ninety six, I believe, and. Basically, uh, as, as I mentioned in the notes, as, by my count, I believe that, that Henry Threadgill has, has documented six major bands throughout his, his career on record. He's had a lot more projects that have been performance-only, but in terms of the recording projects, there's been six major ones, the last one being this group called Zuid, which is still going on uh, and is not reflected in the set. But before that, we've got Air... Um, which is a, a, an early trio that he led. There's a, a group called the Sextet, which was spelled uh, with one or two T's at the end, depending on on the record. Um, and then there was um, Very, Very Circus, uh, Make a Move, and I think the one I left out was X-75, which is in there after air. And and, and all of those are represented on this, on this set in... in uh, just sort of various recordings. Like it's not a complete uh, history of that period. There are records that fall outside of the set, but this is just sort of according to label. One of the things that amazed me the most when listening back to some of this music, um, almost all of which I had heard before except for the unreleased X-75 music, uh, but mm-hmm. when listening to it kind of in this way was that if you just gave this box set to someone but you took all the labeling off, this a lot of this music sounds like it could have been made yesterday. It's just incredible how, f- how forward-thinking uh, Henry Threadgill was and continues to be. Yeah, I think that, especially to me, some of the later stuff, like there, there's a record on here called Making a Move, which is the, the sort of the re- recording quality and everything is, is, is very modern sounding. But yeah, it's, it's incredibly sophisticated and it really moves outside of... I mean, a lot of this stuff moves outside of jazz, I think. Um, and, and it's just sort of this very expansive, exciting, colorful, you know, vibrant music that, that it's very listenable, but on the other hand, it's very challenging. And I think that for some reason, especially that Make It A Move record, and I think it's not necessarily one of Reginald's more well-known records. Um, I think there are some records on here like, like Air Lore, which is obviously sort of considered a classic. Um, and it's interesting to hear that alongside something like Making a Move, which is just a little bit more, for whatever reason, you know, it was, it was out on a major label, but it just doesn't, people just don't seem to know about, about these records, and it's, it's sort of a shame. Um, but I'm really happy that they're back out now. Thank you. 
Yeah, and I think you really hit on something there with that that combination of listenable and challenging, because I think challenging seems to be something you can uh, a reputation you can easily apply to Henry Threadgill. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure if people focus quite as much on the listenable end. And, and there's some stuff, I mean, like the sextet music in here that's incredibly joyous and that I really think you could get, you know, the, the kind of, oh, I don't like jazz, that kind of thing. Well, tell me what kind of music you like and I'll find you some jazz that you probably dig too. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of stuff on this box set that you could give to people who are into all different kinds of music who they would find it really appealing. Yeah, I, th- I think absolutely. And I think that, like, as opposed to, you know, like... Uh, Mosaic did a set of Anthony Braxton, the heiress the stuff, and there definitely is some accessible stuff on that, but, but, you know, some of that stuff is a lot more challenging and experimental and, and, and maybe difficult for someone to get into that didn't have that kind of background. But I think that, yeah, Threadgill, I, I, I sort of like to think of him, and I, and, and I actually spoke to him about this, and, and, I, and it's a, this probably wouldn't be something he'd necessarily agree with at all, but to me, I think, him, I think of him as coming out of the lineage of someone like Mingus, who had a lot of really challenging ideas but but his his music always had this core of of melody and beauty and lushness to it that you could always i don't know it, it always just seems very human and not trying to like put anyone on the outside even if it has a lot of sophisticated ideas going on so i kind of think of Threadgill, and it's represented in the set as someone who's continuing that kind of palette i guess where, where you know he's drawing on so many different types of music but it comes out as something you know, relatively listenable, and you know the the rhythms are strong. The the saxophone playing, obviously, that's that's sort of the one thread in this. Is the saxophone playing is always incredibly passionate, and urgent, and gritty, and intense. And you know, I think that all those elements add up to something that you really could play for for just about anybody, and they could understand just the, the emotion behind it. may be a, a dumb observation on my part, but one of the things that I, I was kind of struck by in going through the, uh, you know, the excellent book, 99% of which is your notes, uh, is actually how happy Threadgill looks in a lot of these pictures. I, I always uh, kind of yeah. picture him as like this, you yeah. know, serious, a serious man. And almost no one is smiling in any of these pictures except him in almost every picture. He just looks really happy to be there and happy to be making this music. Yeah, he, well, he, he was he was a really... He was a really fun guy. I mean, I spent a bit of time with him. I, I interviewed him for this set briefly, and then I interviewed him earlier for a magazine story. But but he he's a really funny guy to hang out with. And I think like on stage, you you get a sense of him too. Like and there's a, there's a lot of movement and 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 sense that he's really enjoying like the groove of his music. Um, but but yeah, he and, and his sense of humor is absolutely. Uh, 
I mean, it's it's hilarious in a lot of ways. And I mean, you can get that, that in the titles, even if you just look through the titles of this set without checking out the um, without the checking out the music. There's just so much humor to it, and I, I think I always think of that one. This there's this record, Open Air Suit, that's on the uh, that's on the box set, and and, and it's a shame because I don't think the covers are produ- reproduced in that in the box. I actually don't have a finished copy, so I don't know. But the cover of that album is like this baboon flying through the air, and it's sort of uh, it's it's you know its butt is exposed, and it's like this rainbow, you know, the rainbow colored, <laughs> the blue and red colored butt of the baboon. And the 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 title of this piece is on that record is called. The jick, which I don't know what that means, but it says or mandrills cosmic ass, um, <laughs> and I just think that something it's so strange, and I, I, I mean I, I have no idea where he's where he's getting this from. There's there's also these other things on here. There's one spotted dick is pudding is another great title and salute to the enema bandit. Yeah, exactly, classic. and we actually yeah that that in particular I didn't know, but but I, I'm I guess I was too too young to know or just didn't do enough research, but. A, he and I actually talked about that, and that the Enema Bandit was was a real person. I don't know if you you were familiar with that story. I wasn't that. until I read it in your notes. Yeah, I mean, you know, I guess apparently he was some, you know, some some in protest or something. This man was going around like forcibly giving people enemas, which sounds sort of terrible. But Thread Threadgill seems kind of amused by it, and it, just by the idea that this guy said he wanted to go to the White House and give. Uh, Nixon and Enema or something like that. But, yeah, and they, yeah. Uh, in in your interview with Threadgill, and Threadgill's recounting this, and he says they caught him, and they said, "Why do you want to go? Why do you want to get the president?" And he said, "The president's full of shit." <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and that's that. That to me is exactly the kind of story that that Threadgill seems to find hilarious, and a lot of that wit comes through, in not just in the titles, but in the music itself. It's very, you know, it's, it's just very witty and warm music. I think.
Hank, when you had a uh, a chance to to sit down and listen to this music, you know, kind of in this large body, and as you said, there are there are pieces missing because because this is grouped by label. But when you had a chance to to take a, a thirty thousand foot view of this two decade period of Threadgill's career, did you come away with some different impressions than you had previously had, or did you feel like you were able to synthesize anything about his uh, his approach or who he is as a composer or player? Well, I think the thing that really gets me about this box set. I mean, you could say it about the, his discography in total, but this this box set gives a really good kind of immediate view into this. Is I, I'm just kind of blown away by his band building ability, and I think that I think that it's it's not. As, I don't want to say it's unique because there are probably other figures, but in terms of jazz, I think people talk a lot about people who change aesthetics. Like for example, you know, obviously Miles Davis. There's a huge you know, glaring example there of, of, of the kind of quote-unquote going electric. And I think that, you know, Miles Davis made sort of that one huge pivotal change, and there were some little changes, you know, sprinkled around it. But Threadgill, he changed concepts so many different times. And in, and again, as I said in the set, there's five different bands. Each, each of the bands, it's not just like, oh, you know, I'm tired of this rhythm section, I'm going to get a new rhythm section. It's literally like, a building of the concept from the ground up. And as he says, and, you know, as he said to me, he said, you know, I never change groups for any marketing reason or novelty reason. I only change when I've changed compositionally. When that happens, I start to hear instruments and orchestration, and I have to figure out exactly what's playing in my head. And I think that this notion, <clears throat> he also said to me something about how the AACM, which is the, the organization that he came out of, like, he he was taught via that, that group and that way of thinking to not think about bands as like a format again it's not it's not who's going to be the bass player who's going to be the drummer who's going to be the piano player as it might have been in jazz in, in the 50s or even the 60s it's sort of like I can just you know raise all that to the ground and then start from the ground up and say if, like you know with X75 if I want to have a group that has like I, I don't I don't want to misstate the figure I think it's in like eight bass players and, 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 and a voice and a saxophone, then that will be my band. And I think that <clears throat> on this on this set, you know, air, you can see him moving from this sort of traditional trio to the air, which is the, the bass and drums, all the way to the, um, you know, the very, very circus or something like that, which is based around the two tubas and the two electric guitars. And there's no there's no other band that sounds like that. And, and it's not like he he looked and said, oh, you know, this other person had a two two by two guitar band. I want to, <laughs> I want to copy it. that. He's saying this is what I hear, and I want, I, I need the two tubas and the two guitars. And you know, checking out the set, starting with air, hearing something which is sort of like, oh, that's jazz, even if it's sort of you know avant garde. It's, it's it's jazz, but then you hear very very circus, and it's like I, I don't really know what that is. It's it's threadgill music, and 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 it's also. You know, and it isn't—it isn't obtuse. It isn't turning people off, and it isn't using unusual instrumentation just to use unusual instrumentation. He's—he completely develops a language for for each band, and I think that the current group Zuid is the same way. It's—you know—he's first. I think he had an oud and a and a cello and a guitar and and a trombone, and you know, it, it, at first when you when you hear about these groups, you're struck by the the unusualness of the instrumentation, and then when you actually hear the band. It just makes sense, and you're just like, "This is Zuid. That's great. I'm I'm fully on board with this. I'm ready to listen and not and not worry too much about, you know, the the, the particulars of it, and just listen to the the sound he's getting, which is always something different." 
Can you talk about, uh, Hank, how you came to be involved in uh, writing the notes for this project? Well, I think that it was really no more complicated than I heard that this thing was in the works, and I can't remember if I was in touch with Michael Kuskuna, who who's the, who's the sort of the head of Mosaic. I can't remember if I was in touch with him previously or if I just sort of wrote him out of the blue, but I, was, I had been doing some research on Threadgill. I'd recently done this piece for The Wire, and I'd basically gone through, it, in the course of doing that piece, I'd interviewed him in addition to, like, exhaustively listening to basically every one of his records. And so I thought to myself, hmm, well, they're probably going to need someone to write about this. And I wrote him, and I was like, I heard you guys are doing this. Here's a piece I wrote, just so you know, you know, I would be thrilled to do this. And I didn't. I think I didn't hear from them for a while, and then, like, six months later, it sort of popped up, and they were just like, are you interested in doing it? And, you know, I have a long... I mean, my my... You know, I'm I'm not that old, and and that growing up, I had, you know, my my the mosaic thing was such a huge deal for me that like the Andrew Hill box set of mosaic is just it was like a treasured possession when I was growing up. I just listened to it obsessively, and I used to DJ on WKCR, and I would always take down these mosaic sets, and they were like these holy objects, and and, and to to come to come around and actually be able to work on something, I was just like very honored, also very intimidated, because I knew that it was like the real heavyweights of the jazz community were going to be probably looking at this, and, and that I was going to have to really, like, you know, prove myself in a way. So it was it was intimidating, but also very exciting. Uh, and uh, this is one of the things I probably should have done right at the beginning, but, you know, I'm not that good at this. Can you uh, talk a little bit about uh, just who you are and uh, for, for whom you write? And uh... Sure. Yeah, I... I um... I'm I'm a writer. I, I guess who, mostly dealing with music. I, I'm on staff at Time Out New York Magazine, where I'm the associate music editor, and I contribute to various other publications, The Wire, and uh, there's a magazine called Burning Ambulance that I wrote for recently, and uh, and I just recently wrote a book about the, the alternative rock band Ween, which has nothing to do with jazz. Um, and that's for the new- thirty-three and a third series, right? Yeah, the 33 and a third series. And and I'm also a musician. I play drums in various groups. The current one is called Stats. And so the 
guess, just sort of writer, musician in various capacities. I don't know. When you sat down, I know you spent, as you said, a, a, a fair amount of time uh, with Henry Threadgill for uh, mm-hmm. the Wire piece, uh, and then you know some some follow up, I guess, uh, for this. Were there was he different than you expected? I don't know. I'm not. I'm not sure if if he was necessarily different. Uh, as I think more, what I came away with was I was just impressed with you know how cool he was and how how fun it was to just sort of hang out with him. Like he he's just. He's got an incredible, um, I think I mentioned before, the humor. But he just, he kind of fixates on these particular details. Like, I remember that some of the anecdotes he told me were, were beautiful. I don't know if these are the kind of anecdotes that he's maybe repeated a lot or if these were just things that sort of came up with regard to the questions I asked. But he was he was talking about the Montreux, I believe the Montreux Festival, because uh, I asked him about it because one of the one of the records on this set was recorded. There, the, the the Montreux Swiss Air record, and he was describing it and saying how cool it was because like Ray Charles was there and all these other kind of like pop music luminaries were there, but you know he was talking about how cool it was to do their first live record and all that. But then he kind of veered over and then he was like, you know, and they also had all this wonderful food and and I I, I just remember this stuck out. He referred to this dish pheasant under glass, like they had they had it, I guess the event was catered or something, and they they basically gave them all this fancy food and, and he mentioned the pheasant under glass and I think that you know, only someone like Henry Threadgill would, in recounting his experience at the Montreux Jazz Festival in 1978 would like, bother to mention something like pheasant under glass because it's just you might get sort of a more straight recounting of that from someone else, but from him it's like those details become the, the subject of it and, and they're just as important as anything else and I think Again, like with the with the with the record titles and just like the wit that pervades the whole thing, like you can see that you know he he's looking at the details as just important as the the kind of the macro, and 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 it often ends up being just weirdly hilarious in a way that you can't put your finger on that. That here's this esteemed composer who who his main memory of the jazz festival was the Fez under glass. When uh, I was listening to this box set and um, 
if you mentioned Miles Davis a little bit earlier, and I was remembering that anecdote, which I can only paraphrase because um, I didn't look it up again, but something like Miles was at a dinner at the White House in the Reagan era, and someone asked him what he did, and he said, you know, I changed music five times. Exactly. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. You, you know, you think about, uh, I mean, Miles is who he is in, in an era where this music was looked at very differently. Um, and certainly in the jazz world, people know who Henry Threadgill is. But when I listen to a box set like this and think and kind of reflect on Henry Threadgill's career, which is which is still going and still ahead of the curve, it strikes me that he is criminally underappreciated in the society at large. I guess that can be applied to many different people in the arts, but this is a person who people should know about. He's an important human being. I, I think I think you're right, and I think that it's. It goes beyond, like, I think there are a lot of jazz figures where you can say that about, like, for example, I mentioned Andrew Hill before, who is, you know, one of my favorite musicians, and I'm always, you know, I, I'm always just noticing that people don't know who he is, but at the same time, Andrew Hill is, I think, a jazz musician. I think that it, it's it's not someone who stretches the category, it, it, you know, he's as visionary as he was, it's not someone who stretches the category of what jazz is, and, who, and who's, whose music I might expect to be enjoyed by someone who wasn't necessarily a jazz fan. Henry Threadgill, on the other hand, as we spoke before, the sense of category, I think, melted away, like, after air. I think it was sort of an all-bets-are-off situation. And, and as, as I said, especially as you move into some of that more electrified stuff, um, making a move, and there's, there's a record, uh, Too Much Sugar for a Dime, which is by the same group, which was you know, produced by Bill Laswell. I think these are just immensely energetic, exciting recordings, and anyone who had any affinity for you know, the more adventurous or avant-garde side of rock from that period, or punk, or, or all that, you know, like, like Threadgill was mixed up in all that, like he performed with um, Material, the, the Bill Laswell group, so, so this whole like percolating downtown kind of scene, like Threadgill was very involved in that, and like you can hear from his music that even if these aren't necessarily like rock bands, that he was he was grasping something out of that and like taking things out of it. And you know, I don't know. I, I, I guess what I'm saying is that it seems to be the kind of music that that could appeal way beyond the jazz universe. And I think especially if you go to see Zoo it now, it's just kind of like this. You know, I think Nate Chenin described it. To the funkiness of it, or, or you know, and there's always that that really strong rhythmic element that even if you might not be so into, or so, you, know, you might not be comprehending like the harmonic stuff that's going on, which sometimes eludes me. You know, you can still get into the groove or the rhythm of it, and you know, I, I guess, yeah, the, the appeal is 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 broad, and it does kind of puzzle me that he's not better known. Hank, is there anything I didn't ask you about this uh, set or about Henry Threadgill that, that you'd like to mention? You know, I think, I guess I would just say that I'm glad that, that you know, Mosaic is obviously a company that, you know, is known for its kind of bread-and-butter traditional jazz, and I think it's really exciting that they're, you know, obviously Michael Kaskuna has this long history of, you know, championing more progressive or avant-garde jazz, and I'm glad that it's now being really reflected a mosaic like you know with the Braxton set and this set and I think that the response to it I, I know there's been a lot of excitement about these sets and like I hope that people buy them and I hope that mosaic continues to kind of excavate this stuff because I think it's you know I think it's great that all that stuff can be on the same page and we don't have to think about jazz like in you know these discrete historical periods anymore 
My guest is Hank Steemer. He is a writer, and if you go to the show notes of thejazzsession.com, uh, there'll be links to Hank's writing there. And uh, among the things he's written are the uh, liner notes uh, for this great mosaic box set, the complete Novus and Columbia recordings of Henry Threadgill and Air, which I can't recommend highly enough. Uh, the notes are great, and the music is amazing. Hank, it's been uh, a lot of fun to, uh, to read you over the years since I discovered you, and uh, I really appreciate you coming on the show to uh, talk about your work on this set. Thanks a lot. I I hope it was uh, helpful. I had a lot of fun. That's music from the Mosaic box set, the complete Novus and Columbia recordings of Henry Threadgill and Air. And uh, thanks to Hank Steamer for coming on to talk about it. Hank wrote the great liner notes for the set, and you can find links to Hank's work and also to uh, Mosaic's website if you want to get a copy of this box set at uh, thejazzsession.com. I'm Jason Crane. This is The Jazz Session, presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the show is available for free at thejazzsession.com, and the most recent episodes are also in iTunes, and there's an RSS feed if you want to subscribe that way. Please do become a member. I really need your help to keep this show going. Looking for 100 members by the 300th show. 
My thanks to the Respect Sextet. They composed the theme music to this show, and they are online at respectsextet.com. They've got a ton of great records. The most recent is called Farcical Built for Six, and you can uh, go online and buy all of those, and I recommend that you do. Thanks also to Dave Vrabel. He designed the show's logo, and he tweets at twitter.com slash Dave Vrabel, V-R-A-B-E-L. And he's very funny, so I recommend following him. And that's it. Get out there and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, and then come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. Bye. Bye.